Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the pandemic has plunged millions of Californians into financial uncertainty, putting years-long careers on hold, forcing parents to choose between work or helping their kids with the challenges of remote school. In this hour, we'll hear how you survived lost work or income in 2020 and what your plans and hopes are for 2021. That's next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A November census survey finds that about a quarter of Americans who are out of work have had to rely on savings or sell assets to make ends meet. One in six say they're borrowing from friends and family. The pandemic and recession has upended many lives this year. And in this hour, we hear how you've been affected financially. Joining me now is Aleda Ramirez from Concord, California. Welcome to Forum, Aleda Ramirez. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for being here. I understand you were working at a restaurant at the beginning of this year. What happened when the pandemic hit? Uh, Well, as as every other business, they had to reduce hours of operations. They have to reduce the staff. Um, And so I was one of the ones who ended up losing the job since it was a small restaurant. And even though at the beginning of that, I started doing something else, um, due to circumstances in the family, everything had to change, you know. Wow. I understand that you started doing Instacart, but, but it was hard to, to drive for Instacart because your daughter is in school right now? Yes. At, at the beginning, it was okay. I had the support of my sister-in-law, and I, I was married at the time. So it was, it was okay to do it, but once... Um, we had to separate um, for domestic violence. Um, then I lost all that support and leaving the house with my daughter being a minor during a school time when she's at virtual school, it became hard to leave forward. Wow, Aleda, you uh, have been through a lot. Um, I'm so sorry that happened. And I appreciate you you sharing that with us because I know that it takes a lot. So without sort of going going it alone in some ways with your daughter, um, how have you been able to make ends meet? Uh, part has been um, both savings. I started to 
being utilized. <laughs> um, really dipping into your savings. Dipping into my savings. And, and now that it's almost gone, you know, trying to figure out a way to to stay positive, to stay strong, to learn something new, to, to keep my mind focused on the positive side of, of all these situations. And most important for me is how do I stay um, emotionally healthy because I have my daughter who is 11 years old and pretty soon she will be starting going through puberty and that's a tough age as it is. Yeah. And so the last thing I want her is to see a mom that is worried or preoccupied or depressed, you know. Were there government programs that you have been able to turn to that you found helpful? Now I am finding that. I recently applied for Shelter Inc. And, um, you know, I was not aware of a lot of the, these programs at the beginning because, again, I have always been the provider. I always had one, two, sometimes three jobs. So it was never a need for that until now. But yes, I have found support through through organizations, local organizations and churches that have been, you know, supporting us with, with certain things and a lot of people that come forward and, and helping us during this time. Have you been able to make rent? Not, not really. Not really. And the past three months have been challenging because it was right after my daughter started school. And that's when I realized like, well, you know, being single again and with a child at home, it's hard to leave. They get distracted easily when they're at school. So, you know, we have to be watching them most of the time uh, during school hours, making sure they are connected, they're listening, they're not getting distracted. I mean, yeah. so the house with her being uh, at home doing virtual school. Yes. You talk about being the provider. I wonder, what was it like for you to, to miss that initial rental payment? Um, I felt discouraged at the beginning. I felt, because my priority has always been providing for my daughter and, and having a stable lifestyle for her, not being able to, to meet that need. It was scary at the beginning. And... Again, that's when I started diving in into like reading and finding groups in the community to pretty much stay connected and realize that I'm not alone in this, you know. And I started, like I said, diving into books to emotionally help me to understand that, hey, it, there is a time when we're not okay 100%. And that doesn't make me a bad person or a bad parent. It's just at this moment, I'm not able to provide for my child. You know? Yes, tell me, tell me more about these books. It sounds like they've been really helpful through this. They have. There's, there's a lot of self-help books out there. And I, I have a term in Spanish that I share a lot um, that, you know, somehow we, we're going to come out of these. Um, and in Spanish makes more sense, but translating it to English is a little bit challenging, so... But it's, it's all about where do you put your mind? You know, to me, it's just self-growth and uh, staying emotionally uh, strong and healthy and understanding that what I see is not necessarily a bad thing. 
it's just a circumstance that many of us are going through. I'm not the only single mom out there uh, who owes three, four, five months of rent. I mean, I'm, I have met uh, people that owe a lot more months of rent than me, and, and they're still staying strong because they have their kids, you know, and they, their children are a lot younger, and I have one, but they have two, three kids. So connecting with the community at this time for me was just as important as trying to stay uh, emotionally healthy. Yeah, it sounds um, like even amid all of this, that you've had some time to reflect a little bit on what you've been through. What are you? Yes. yes sorry, if, if there was more you wanted to say there. No, no, go ahead. What are you hoping 2021 will bring? It's sort of that end of the year time and we, we face a new year ahead. You know, what are your biggest concerns and, and what are you hopeful for? You know, we have lost so much human connection. And as a human, we miss that. As much as we um, nag about each other sometimes, we do uh, desire to have that human connection, human interaction. I see my daughter having that uh, issue as well. Emotionally has been hard on them just as much as it's hard for us grown you know, adults. But really hoping that 2021 will bring some sort of comfort to everyone and, and find that human connection again without fearing that we're gonna end up uh, hurting each other through that connection. And in terms of your economic future, how are you feeling about that? Do you feel like where you're at is sustainable? Not really, but out of all these, I know something is going to come out. I think it's that, that moment in everyone's life where reassessing where we have been and where we want to get financially is, is crucial. So, um, you know, who knows? Entrepreneurship is out there. Um, there's so many ideas that we can can turn into a weight of income. Um, there's so many things that we can do. Um, maybe we just, I don't see it right now, but I'm hoping, you know, I'm really hoping that something will, will turn around and will make a big difference after this, all this is over. So 2021 for me is a year of opportunity um, to create something new to create a different way of uh, create, building a business or making an income, something. You know. Yes. And your daughter sounds really remarkable. I mean, she really sounds like somebody who, who helped you make those kinds of changes as well in your own life. Yes, she is. She's a very strong-minded child. And she was the first one who saw the violence at home, the marriage that I was, and I feel proud and grateful that she was the first one who pointed out that I was in a marriage where emotionally we both were being hurt. And, you know, at, at the beginning, she felt like she has done something bad. And, and no, not at all. I told her, regardless of who I am, she has the right to speak up when she sees something not being um, Okay, so she's she's quite a smart kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aleda Ramirez, I really appreciate talking with you. Thank you so much.
Thank you for having me here. Elena Ramirez is a Concord resident and a mother. And joining me now is Laurence Dussault. She's an inequality and income gap reporter for the Mercury News and for Cal Matters. Thanks so much for joining us, Laurence. Glad to be on the program. Thanks for having me. I know that you interviewed Elena as part of the program, but I'm wondering if there were some things that you saw that were, were frequently recurring themes or experiences among the people you interviewed. Yeah, yes. Um, and throughout my reporting, I, I, I cover inequality, economic inequality and the wealth gap. So I've been hearing stories left and right. People, you know, rationing food, saying they are in debt, but still trying to help friends and family who are also needing financial help. Um, we've gotten a report uh, recently. It's the first time some some food um food banks are actually having a hard time providing enough food for people in line. So yeah, it's, it's hard to hear those stories. And Aleda is, is, as she said really well, she, she's one single mother struggling, but there are many. Yes. And it sounded like you spoke with quite a few parents who were also dealing with the challenges of remote learning and how much it limited their ability to work. Right. And, and that's something that's been um, hard during this pandemic is, 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 people who are used to making it work. Um, and Aleda is one of them, um, but you know, drivers, waitresses, housekeepers, people in the gig and entertainment industry who you know, had families, were, were working families, um, and were making it work in California despite you know, the high cost of living. Um, and, and it's those people who suddenly are, are finding themselves unable to, to keep providing. And, and that's not only stressful economically, but psychologically. Um, yes. Well, we'll meet more Californians after the break. I'm Nina Kim. Stay with us. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Millions of Californians are at risk of losing their homes when the state's eviction moratorium expires in February, and nearly 800,000 are projected to lose federal unemployment benefits the day after Christmas unless Congress acts fast. The uncertainty has taken a toll on what's already been a very tough year for many financially, and we asked you, our listeners, to weigh in with your stories. And Michael R. wrote, I had to cash out my life insurance to survive this year. Previously, I was working as a case manager with people who are diagnosed with mental illness and doing social work and residential rehab programs. I live with an at-risk roommate, and I do not want to go back into a job where I have frequent contact with people where I might get sick and infect her. I'm dependent on her for my housing, and if something happens to her, I will be homeless. Spencer in San Francisco writes, I'm a freelance photographer whose income has dropped by 50% when compared to 2019. Most of my corporate clients have suspended photo shoots until the pandemic is over. Newspapers and magazines are hiring less and event work is non-existent. I filed for unemployment for the first time in my life and the extra income has been invaluable in keeping me financially stable. I'm lucky in that I have low fixed expenses, but for all intents and purposes, 2020 
has been a lost year. We'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation as well if you'd like to share how you've survived financially so far this year. Have you lost income or struggled to pay expenses? And how are you feeling about your economic future? You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And joining me now is John Mark, John Mock, a hairdresser in Walnut Creek who lives in San Francisco. Thanks for joining us, John Mock. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Teresa Trabuco, a waitress who lives in Menifee in Riverside County. Glad to have you here as well, Teresa Trabuco. Thank you for having me on. So, John, uh, yes, appreciate you being here. John Mock, I'll start with you. I, I know that salons have really, I mean, speaking of uncertainty, had a lot of uncertainty with shutdowns whenever virus cases rise. How has that been for you? It's just been a crazy roller coaster, to be honest, because like so much of it, it seems to be out of our hands and we can't control. And I think the, also the information that clients get on TV or wherever they get their news isn't always a complete picture. And as, as they're getting the news, we're trying to unfold and figure out what we're doing in this one as well. So it's just been a roller coaster. It's been emotional. Yeah. When all is said and done, I mean, how much do you think you've been able to actually work? overall i think if we look at how many days we've been we've pretty much lost about six and a half to seven months of income and teresa trabuco how about you Uh, you work in the restaurant industry how has the pandemic and sort of the related closures openings takeout so on you know the changes that have to be made to accommodate the rise in virus cases how has that affected you it has affected me a lot um you know, especially, you know, due to working in the restaurant industry and, you know, me being a single mom and my son's school being closed, I'm unable to work during the week. So only working the weekends, um, it, it's, it's been tough, you know, you know, we're going from opening to closing and just not knowing what the next day brings has been really difficult. So then, John Mock, in your case, have you been able to cover your expenses and spending needs during this time? I mean, the first thing I did as we went into shutdown was made sure that I paid off any credit card debt and, um, you know, just looked at, took a close look at what I had in my savings. And so far, I'm not behind on either rent at work or um, my housing rent. Um, But, you know, I just looking at the future, I I don't know how long we're going to be you know, closed for, and I don't know how much longer my savings can handle it. Mm, you've had to dip into your savings as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think I've been lucky to be raised in a conservative family where <laughs> saving money has always been a top priority. And so I was saving to buy a house, and now it seems like the dreams of buying a home seem further and further away. Yeah, it's really changed in terms of, it sounds like what what your future will be you're not quite sure at this point no <laughs> it's a little bit crazy yeah so many questions so up in the air and same to you Teresa Trabuco I mean in terms of making ends meet how have you been able to do it for you and your son um, at the at the beginning of all this it wasn't um, that bad um, with getting that extra $600 a week on top of um, our weekly unemployment benefits uh, helps. 
I actually took the money and paid my rent ahead of time um, through September, knowing that that wasn't always going to be there. Now that um, that's over, I have not been able to pay my rent um, since then. And um, because I have to make sure, you know, I pay my internet bill to make sure that's on for my son's schooling. Um, groceries 24-7, you know, that we're needing in the house. Um, I've put credit card bills on hold, um, you know, and come, you know, the end of the month, my unemployment is actually going to run out. So with no extra help, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Um, and it's, it's just the unknown is difficult. So come February 1st, with my apartment, you know, they're saying, you know, 25% of our rent has to be paid, you know, or there's going to be possibly eviction. And, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do from there. Yes, the state's uh, eviction moratorium ends February 1. And then Laurence Dussault, the uh, basically landlords can't start taking tenants to court in March. The other thing that I'm struck by in terms of what Teresa Trabuco was saying was that it's really been in the last few months that it feels like people have been feeling the most financial pain, that they were able, at least in the beginning with the CARES Act and the initial support from the federal government to kind of make things work and maybe even put a little bit away. Yes. You know, and there's there's a lot of programs out there that, you know, I through United List out here in Riverside County um, is a rental assistance program, but that they were you know, paying $3,500 towards the landlords, but their their money ran out through the CARES Act. So um, I'm now on a waiting list for that, you know, and they're like, if something else comes up or they have get more um, uh, money and stuff, then I'll be able to partake in that. But everything's just ran out. John Mock, you mentioned earlier that it's been really emotional. I'm wondering when was the most challenging time of the pandemic for you? I would say, honestly, this last closure um, that mm -hmm. just happened for salons has been, it was kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back, um, as it were, because, you know, I've just been dealing with it, each punch kind of rolling with it and trying to figure out what the next thing is. And and now I just have thrown my hands up in the air and, and, and don't exactly know where I'm going right now. I mean, I, I'm sure I will rebound. I, you know, try to keep myself mentally stable, but it, it's just been, it's a real challenge every day. Yes. I mean, the constant not knowing how long you can be open, not knowing really the trajectory of this. I can only imagine what that's been like. And I mean, in terms of, Laurence Toussaint, being able to seek the necessary help and support, what have you heard from people? I mean, one of the things that I was struck by was that what what some of your reporting revealed was that, that people have found it hard to ask for help. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's been something that, that providers, and specifically food providers, have been saying forever, is people do not like to ask for help. They do not like to stand in line for food. They are used to being able to making it on their own. And no one wants to do it. But, but now, 
there's there's a few added things. In particular, I think the tech divide now that people cannot go, for example, to libraries, use computers, um, or go directly to these centers to ask for help. Um, you know, older folks who are having trouble, you know, uh, applying on, on Zoom or applying on, on Facebook or, uh, you know, just doing applications for ADD. Mm. Um, and then the language barrier also makes it harder now that people can't directly go to their community centers to ask for help in translation. So it sounds like you're saying both there is a reluctance to necessarily ask, but also even if you do want to be able to benefit from some of the programs that are out there, that there's the challenge of even just being able to to access the online platforms or to fill out the necessary paperwork. Right, yeah, it, it's really both. Uh, on the technical side, filling out the paperwork, finding the right help and, you know, navigating these websites, uh, figuring out which PDF is the one that's in Vietnamese if you don't speak English. And then on the other side, psychologically, asking for help is also hard. We're talking with Laurence Dussault, Inequality and Income Gap reporter for the Mercury News and CalMatters, and a contributor to the CalMatters series, Staying Sheltered, that focuses on people trying to pay housing costs during the pandemic. Also, John Mock is with us, a San Francisco hairdresser, and Teresa Trabuco, a waitress from Menifee, California. And you, our listeners, are with us. If you'd like to join the conversation, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Christine in San Jose writes, I left my husband in September of last year. I didn't know how I was going to do it on my own. I was being abused. I was scared to leave, but I decided it was the last time I just left. I didn't want my children to see that it was okay to abuse your wife. Today, I have a job. I have an apartment. Things are going well. Sometimes I might need help with food, so I go to the Salvation Army Food Pantry. Matthew writes, I'm a 63-year-old man with a PhD and decades working in higher education. I was laid off a few months before the virus hit and have been unemployed for 14 months. Long-term extensions for unemployment run out early next year, and I'm forced to contemplate a vastly diminished retirement. What does the current picture look like for displaced older workers moving forward? Laurence Dussault, I don't know if you have any thoughts for Matthew on that in terms of older, older workers. Just generally how older workers are faring during the pandemic? Yes. I mean, as you're reporting, yeah. Right. My reporting has focused on, on elderly folks who are not employed currently. Uh, yeah, John, if you have any insights on, on what's happening to the, those who are still working but, but are growing older. Uh, well, thank you for that. I mean, let me quickly go to a call. Matt in Walnut Creek, join us. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you? I'm well. What would you like to say? Yeah, I mean it's it's been tough. I I uh I was working and living overseas and luckily was able to put a bit of money away, but uh, I I quit my job to come home and take care of my at-risk parents. Mm. And it's uh it's been a struggle to just uh kind of have this pause in in life and professional career and now money's running out and I'm going to have to go off again and I'm I'm a little concerned especially with this current surge. Yeah, and, and what what are you trying to put in place? Are you making plans for 2021, Matt? Yep. So luckily, I got a job, but it's uh, it's across the Atlantic, and uh, so we'll see what happens. So many tough choices to make, and 
Teresa Trabuco, how about you? Have you contemplated a move as well as a result of just the cost of living here in California? Yes, um, I had moved my older son to Idaho the end of June. Um, and being back there, it's like the cost of living. Um, and he works two jobs. He works at a tow truck company and at Texas Roadhouse as well. He's worked alongside me for the last seven years here in California. And, you know, Texas Roadhouse there is open 100%, you know, and the cost of living is so much cheaper. And I just feel moving there, you know, my, my dollar would go a, a much further. Um, and I, I think it would be a good thing. But, of course, you know, there's things that I got to put in place in order to be able to move first, you know, because of, because of my nine-year-old boy. Um, but that's, you know, what I would love to do. And, you know, I'm hoping that things would work out and I could be back there, you know, a little bit of normalcy. You know, my son would be able to be in school full time, you know, and that would give me a chance to be able to work. Would you have considered moving before the pandemic? No, um, not at all, Um, because it was like working here. um, I was fine before the pandemic. And now I just feel um, California has gone down the drain. um, And the way it's looking at, I feel like as far behind as I am, it's going to be so hard to just trying to play catch up the whole time. Um, and back there, a new fresh start and working full time. And, you know, I think that would just be beneficial. John Mock, how about you? I mean, have you considered any major life changes? You work in Walnut Creek, you live in San Francisco. The Bay Area, of course, is such a high cost area. Um, I totally agree, but it's an incredible place to live. I love the Bay Area. I love San Francisco. It's hard as a hairdresser because um, what it would mean would be giving up all my relationships with my clients. I've worked hard over the last 13, 14 years to develop that relationship and to up and leave and move to another state would be starting over again. Um, And it's honestly in my industry hard to make a living like I can in the Bay Area doing hair. There just isn't a market for it. Have you sought or been able to get financial assistance? Uh, I was able to get unemployment from um, CDD, um, but it was delayed because I'm an independent contractor. I wasn't able to access uh, an application until the end of April, and then funds didn't really come in until June. And because I'm an independent contractor, the amount I was getting is much lower than what more somebody with a W-2 would get. And was that the My first payment was about $283 a week. Wow. And, and was that sort of the first time you've had to collect unemployment? I don't think I've ever applied for unemployment in my life. How was that for you, John? I, it's definitely defeating. I'm someone who totally believes that, you know, I should work for everything I have. I shouldn't rely on government assistance. But I do also know that, you know, those of us who have worked hard have also paid into the system for so long that we deserve that. So, but it, it was hard for my ego. And in, we were talking earlier, Teresa Tripuco, with Laurence Dussault about just the difficulty of asking friends and family. Was that hard for you? Have you done that? No, um, it's very hard for me to ask. I have not asked any of my family or friends for help. Um, I think, you know, maybe it's a pride thing. I don't know. Um, but it's like, 
I'm 42 years old and I should be able to be providing for my son without having to ask. And it, you know, I've always worked um, hard for everything that I have and not having it. It's just, I, I just, I can't bring it to ask. I just, I don't know why, you know, I've looked into funding and stuff like that, but it's, you know, you get turned down all the time because they don't have the means to help. And it's just, you know, it's like kind of giving up and you just don't know what else to do. Well, Anna in San Jose writes, my husband lost his job in April and found a new job a month ago. Our family has been getting back to normal slowly now that my husband is back to work. We also found a daycare that charges about half the price as the one we had before. I've always been a budgeter and saver, so I was tightening up even more. We always ask ourselves now, is it a necessity or a want? Is it a liability or an asset? Since the pandemic, I look at money differently because you don't know what's going to happen. We're hearing personal stories of how the coronavirus pandemic has impacted people's finances. We're joined by Teresa Trabuco, a waitress from Menifee, John Mock, a San Francisco hairdresser, Laurence Dussault of the Mercury News, who's contributed to Cal Matters series, Staying Sheltered. And you, our listeners, are with us telling us how you've survived financially so far this year, how you're feeling about your economic future. Give us a call, 866-733-6786, if you'd like to join the conversation. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, and you can also email us at forum at kqed.org. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. I'm what you might call... Very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how the coronavirus has impacted Californians financially. And we're joined by Teresa Trabuco, a waitress from Menifee, California, John Mock, San Francisco hairdresser, Laurence Dussault, an inequality income gap reporter for the Mercury News and for Cal Matters. And joining us now is Mayela Hidalgo. Mayela, thanks so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. Mayela, I understand that you were working at an IHOP when the pandemic hit. What did oh. you do? decide yeah what did you decide to do when you yeah, lost work I was working at an ihop and you know one day going into work leaving getting a text the next day you know you don't have a job mm-hmm. um that was a big hit like i told bianca you know blanca i've been working since i was 16 so for me not having the job is the complete not knowing what's my next step where's my next food gonna come from how am i gonna pay my car note how am i gonna pay my rent you know yeah Oh, um, like everybody else, I applied for EDD, but, you know, they had that round around having us wait, saying they didn't have enough workers. So finally, we get the EDD and it's like 600 every two weeks. You know, how do we survive? Um, And a lot of people, I think, look at it as, oh, it's a devastating moment. What are we going to do? But it's really fight or flight. You know what I mean? What are you going to do? So in my case, I decided to take medical assisting. Um, and the, you know, take advantage of the time that I can't go to work. 
So you were able to to sort of go into a training program to do something else, to start a new career, basically? Pretty much, you know, and I, I looked at it as, you know, the medical field, it's always something everywhere. Let's say I move somewhere else, I'm going to be able to, you know, transfer myself and, uh, you know, go somewhere, not like a waitress. You know, I was used to being a waitress and you see how fast they got rid of me. Like, yeah. nothing, you know, and that felt very, you know, down. You You feel down. You feel like, wow, my profession ain't that important, you know. So so when the pandemic hit, you you really started thinking about what jobs would be stable, like stable yeah. even in a pandemic. Exactly. And you know what I mean? Like our, our essential workers, our medical workers, our doctors, our police officers, they all still have jobs, you know, and they're getting paid probably even more right now. So it's like, you know, that's what opened my eyes to going into the medical field. And I hopefully one day become a registered nurse. You know, that can be a really hard, hard turn to make, especially when you're experiencing financial hardship. How are you able to like, what was the moment when you realized you oh, no. yeah, had I, to make I that looked, change? I looked into it. I looked into a bunch of uh, places and, you know, you have to pay. You have to pay about $10,000 for these six months programs, you know. Um, and I was, you know, giving up and giving up. And then finally, I, I ran across one of them and it's Mission Learning Vocational School right here in San Francisco. And they actually help the Latino community, people my age, people older, you know, that don't have low income. I'm, I come from a low income family my whole life. And they, they pretty much give you a $10,000 grant, which pays for your whole schooling. All you have to buy is your, your scrubs and your books. And how are you liking it so far? Oh, I love it. It's it's hard, you know, like everything else in life, but nothing comes easy. <laughs> so true. Uh, <laughs> let, uh, let me go to Anna in Santa Rosa. Hi, Anna. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm well. What would you like to say? I'm also a server from the restaurant business and lost my job on St. Patrick's Day. Hmm. Um, had to borrow money from... Um, a family member as well um, as a friend until my EDD came in. I've been fortunate that I had no problems with EDD, but I had a cousin that helped me. Um, oh, you know, that helped me. She had, I don't have a computer. She had a computer and she helped me over the phone. She helped me to apply and she's been through the system. So she knew what she was doing. So I did have support. I did have to wait for it to show up, but it didn't take too long. And I was fortunate in that regard I don't want to work right now because I'm high risk for COVID-19. I have pre-existing health conditions. I'm older. I'm 58 years old. And so um, if I, I have, a, I'm a chronic asthmatic. And honestly, I had a really bad flu not too long ago. I, I was really, really sick. It wasn't COVID. Um, I was seen by my doctor. But my point is, is, if I got coronavirus, I would probably die from it. So I'm unable to work, but like, luckily I'm on EDD and I'm okay right now. But what I'm struggling with the most is I already, before this all happened, I struggle with anxiety and depression. And so, sorry. So that's what's hard is just being so isolated and being alone. Being alone all the time is hard. Sorry. No, please don't apologize, Anna. It's I just I so appreciate you sharing that with us, and I I'm sorry for for what you are dealing with. I'm glad to hear that you um, were able to get sort of initial financial support, but in this moment, as you know, we move towards 2021. How are you feeling in terms of your ability to? to be able to not work because of your health concerns and things like that? Well, I was I was able to get into a program where I'm helping foster youth 
teenagers, and so I have really cheap rent. So um, I, you know, I I was really working at trying to find an acceptable place to live for the long term. So I'm I have a master bedroom and I have um, my own bathroom, and I live in a nice house right now for very cheap, cheaply. So I'm fortunate in that way. Um, also, because I live in California, and I just found out this in the last week or two, and I checked with EDD. They're extending, you know, because of the pandemic. They're because we're in a high unemployment rate. Um, yes. California is ex- is extending 20 weeks because my unemployment is going to end too at the end of de- at December 26th. But because of the pandemic, uh, California is extending an extra 20 weeks. Yes. And so I do I, I, have until the end of May or beginning of June. I believe that's right as well for people who were on regular unemployment. That option is available. I'm I'm glad to hear it, Anna, and really appreciate you calling in. Thanks so much. Thank you. Tracy writes, those of us who are just plain lucky to still be employed have a social, if not moral, responsibility to those who are struggling during the pandemic. Order takeaway from your local restaurant and tip generously. Give money to your food bank, not just during the holidays, but make it a recurring donation. Patronize local businesses instead of shopping online. Debbie writes, I'm a hairdresser in Oakland, and what is upsetting to me is that retail can be open while we are closed. Salons have contact tracing and clients are not allowed to touch anything, and we clean everything before and after. It seems we are more regulated. This seems not fair or based in science. John Mock, has that been something that's also contributed to the to the stress of all of this, just the sense that maybe it feels a bit arbitrary? Oh, I definitely agree with the, that on that email that came in because I feel like our salon has invested so much money into making things as safe as possible. And um, absolutely, I feel like we are regulated and there isn't science and the governor hasn't shown us the science for why we're closed right now. Um, I know that um, Governor Cuomo in New York released um, a statistics that he collected in New York and it showed a very, very low number of people actually getting transmissions from in this lawn. Well, let me go to caller Andrew in Moreno Valley. Hi, Andrew. Yeah, hi, hello. What would you like to say? Uh, just everything, you know, I'm 30 years old, live alone. I have my own house and everything, car. And, um, you know, it is hard to work every day, barely working. I work construction, like I said, and we're barely working. And with the pandemic and everything shutting down, it's hard for someone to pay their rent. And uh, I've been actually paying little by little monthly because uh, we don't make enough to pay rent or to, to have food on the table. There's there's days where you do struggle to have food or to pay a light bill or to pay a gas bill. And for people who are struggling with not getting unemployment on time and you know, it's, it's tough on everybody and people need to to help other people out, not just to think negative or, you know, because this is worldwide. It's not just states or cities. It's worldwide where everybody is struggling, not just white, black, Mexican. It's everybody. Yes, it it really is. It is it is felt in so many different corners of the world. Andrew, thanks. I really appreciate you calling in. Jeanette in the Bay Area. Jeanette, it just says Bay Area for me here, but uh, where are you actually? Well, I um, hi, I run a, um, a salon in Mill Valley, and um, we've been closed down three times with um, with these orders that give us like maybe three or four weeks, and um, I've 
you know, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to acquire another job for three weeks, but nobody wants to hire you for three weeks or four weeks. So, you know, it's really um, puts us at a dramatic disadvantage because even, you know, when they say, oh, we're going to close you down for two weeks and then they just extend it and extend it and extend it with no end in sight and no possibility for us to find other alternatives. I mean, even Starbucks won't hire you for four weeks. It would take it, it's not worth training somebody for that amount of time. Yeah. What are you? you know, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and and I, you know, as somebody who's in, um, you know, a business that's regulated by a licensing board, I find it really, um, you know, it's a dangerous situation because I don't think that this is going to have the desired effect because it puts people in a desperate situation. And when people are desperate, they're going to do what they need to do, which means that hairstylists are going to be in people's houses and backyards trying to pay their bills, you know, and a lot of people just look at that as something frivolous that they're doing, but it's desperate and we're not being regulated when we're in people's houses and backyards. Mm. We're safer inside of a salon where, you know, the board can come by and see what we're doing. Jeanette, thanks for sharing that and and for giving us that insight. I mean, John Mock, I don't know if you had a response for Jeanette. I mean, I agree with what she said. I think that there are definitely, of all my friends, I do know people are working underground on the block market and doing, you know, the people that I know are probably wearing masks and following rules, but there's probably a fair amount of people who may or may not be following rules and and entering people's homes. You know, I did do house calls for a short amount of um, time, and I didn't always feel safe going into people's homes because people have different choices for risk. Um, and how they choose to protect themselves and their family. And and, it doesn't necessarily line up with how my risk adversity is. So, Yeah. I mean, Laurence Dussault, it just really underscores the kinds of impossible choices that people are being forced to make at this point. Absolutely. You know, between PG&E, which means internet, which means your kids' education and your rent. And what I've been hearing, too, is that even if people know that they have this option to pay 25% now and the rest a bit later, they don't want that. So people are pushing and putting every little last penny in what they owe. And those exactly, as you said, just impossible decisions. Again, Laurence Dussault is an inequality and income gap reporter for the Mercury News and Cal Matters. John Mock is a hairdresser, a San Francisco hairdresser. Teresa Trabuco is a waitress from Menifee, California. Mayela Hidalgo, a San Francisco resident training to become a medical assistant. And you, our listeners, are with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Sierra in Oakland writes, I'm 29 and moved to Oakland 10 years ago. I've gotten used to the hustle to stay here, meaning three, sometimes four part-time jobs in the service industry. I haven't worked since the shutdown. It's been a struggle financially. I've had to budget accordingly, but it's insanely freeing. I think that I was definitely depressed before because I never saw an end in sight. Now I just play music or go out into the wilderness or bake and make soup. It's definitely put life into perspective about what's important. Maela Hidalgo, it feels like in many ways the pandemic has given you a new perspective as well. Maela, are you there? Oh, maybe we lost Maela. But related to that question, Teresa Trabuco, do you feel like you've learned things during this pandemic, if you've had any time to really reflect, um, that you'd like to share? Yes, I have actually. It's 
it, you know, you learn to slow down a little bit um, because life can be so fast. Um, and at this time, you slow down and enjoy time with the family and interact with them more instead of just, it's usually go, 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 you know, work, school, you know, whether the kids are in sports. And I've grew closer to my family, my, my siblings and my kids, which I appreciate that more. And it, it does put into perspective what's more important and more things to focus on. How about for you, John Mock? Uh, I definitely thought about the things that are important. I think when we, before the pandemic, I, I lived in excess and, you know, shopped and lived a lifestyle that was probably not the most conservative. And, and I think now I, I think about the time that I have with my dog, my puppy, my my partner, um, even time that I spent reaching out to my parents and making sure they're okay, they're elderly in their 70s, and um, just taking the time to check in with people and make sure every, everyone, and actually clients as well. I've reached out to my clients, you know, who are struggling, um, you know, emotionally just to check in and see huh. how they're doing. Wow. And how has that been? Uh, you know, it's it, it it does put a lot of life in perspective. And I think um, it, it definitely makes us maybe go back into the world after the pandemic and have different appreciation for all the blessings we have. Well, Mickey writes, so many of us age 60 plus workers are able-bodied and stronger part of the and a stronger part of the workforce. We must continue because we have no retirement plans. COVID is forcing us into early retirement without a safety net. When the few jobs return, older people will be pushed aside for younger workers. I can see even more age discrimination than before. Older people are stigmatized now because it's thought we are all vulnerable to COVID. Don't push us to the side. And Heather writes, I feel so lucky to have my job. There were some really uncertain moments and quite a few of our staff were let go. I'm in a professional field that was affected by all our clients tightening their belts and feeling that domino effect. All of that said, without being able to spend on entertainment and nights out, it's been incredible to donate money to worthy causes and try as much as possible to prop up and support local businesses. John Mock, wondering what you think 2021 will be like. Uh, I want to be hopeful, but I'm a little apprehensive. I mean, looking at what's going on with the rollouts for the vaccines, I don't know when hairdressers get their vaccinations. I think we're probably not high on the totem pole. So, I mean, I would hope that the government and state take a closer look at the safety for salons and come and visit our salon even to see how we're running it so that they have a better idea of how hard we're working to keep people safe. Um, so maybe in 2021, if we can see Governor Newsom do the homework and figure out whether or not salons really are a risk factor for COVID infections, that would be great. Um, and maybe less shutdowns this year. Yeah. How about you, Teresa Trabuco? What do you think 2021 will be like for you? You know, I feel the same way. It, it, I really I want to be hopeful and be optimistic, but I I really don't see that. Um, I just hope that maybe, you know, Newsom will see that, the you know, the bar and restaurant industry, we are essential, you know, and, you know, they're not able to show that the COVID is spreading there. You know, I don't understand, you know, the restaurants are being closed down while other retails open and packed with water wall people and our industry is getting ran through the mud. And I feel it's going to continue through 
2021. Um, I just, I, I just hope that it, it will change. Maya, I'm not too sure it will. Yeah. Maya Hidalgo, were we able to reconnect with you really quick? Yes. Sorry about that. No worries. Any thoughts on how 2021 will be different potentially? Uh, you see, I hope it's a good year. You know, I know that's naive to say with everything that's going on, but it's what we make it. You know, if you go and achieve something, go do it. And hopefully it takes you somewhere better from where you are right now. And I would like to thank everybody at Goodwill for transferring me and connecting me with you guys. Thank you, Summer, and everybody out there. And thank you guys for giving me the chance. <laughs> well, Maya Hidalgo, we were so glad to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Teresa Trabuco, thank you to you. Thank you very much for having me. John Mock, really appreciated having you as well. Yeah, thank you for sharing our story. Yeah. And Laurence Dussault, thanks as well for your reporting. Really appreciated having you on. Thanks to you. Thanks for having me. Blanca Torres produced today's segments. Thanks to our listener, listeners for contributing their stories as well. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.